afraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. This poem, titled Invictus, written in the 1800s, rings true to modern ears. We live in a culture that is overwhelmingly individualistic. Most people tend to mistakenly believe that we are masters of our own fate, that we are captains of our own souls. Tonight we're going to be looking at 1 Samuel, verses, or chapter 18, verse 4, where Jonathan gave David the rights to his earthly fate. And we'll see four implications that come from giving Jesus the rights to our own fate. Let's start by reading, uh, reading from 1 Samuel um, chapter 18. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him so that Saul set him over the men of war and this was good in the sight of the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. So verse four. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Gifts of clothes in the Bible are often seen as tokens of friendship or respect. Pharaoh gave Joseph his ring, fine linens, and a chain in Genesis 42. Mordecai was given robes the king had worn in Esther. The prodigal son was given the father's best robe in Luke 15. These examples and Jonathan's gifts to David are given from one of higher standing to one of lower standing. And with this as the backdrop, I kind of see two ways that we can look at our verse. One is how Jonathan's gift foreshadows Jesus stripping himself of his own glory, covering us with the robe of his righteousness, while also arming us and preparing us to fight. The other is how his gift provides an example of the ways that we should model our life and give what we may feel is rightly ours to great David's greater son. So meditating on Christ providing a covering of our sins could take us on a tour from, through the Bible, from Genesis, where Adam and Eve were given animal skins to cover their nakedness, to Revelation, where the great multitudes are clothed in white robes, holding palm branches and crying out, salvation belongs to the Lord, to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Spending time meditating on this is something that we should be doing regularly that we should be preaching it to ourselves and remembering God's, Christ's goodness to us. But because the second hand limits me to just a few more minutes, I'm not gonna go down that path. Um, but I do need to state up front and be very clear that any way that we give up our own coverings to Jesus has no merit apart from him first covering us. So then, let's turn our attention to the implications of following Jonathan's example of stripping himself of his robes and his armor. 
As believers in Jesus' atoning, covering, equipping sacrifice, we give up our perceived yet sinful right, quote-unquote, to master our own fate, to one who is a better king. We acknowledge that the one who is anointed by God is the true captain of our, captain of our souls, and this has implications as to how we live. We'll be looking at four of them. The first implication of our stripping ourselves of our perceived rights is that, it's, that it is positional. It almost goes without saying, but we are not God. Unfortunately, we tend to forget this, and, the, and we believe the lie of the deceiver in the garden. We think that indulging our desires, we become, in Satan's words, like God. But the creator distinction is real. And as the first chapters of Romans makes clear, we are guilty before him. Apart from being clothed in Christ's righteousness, our position is one of people under God's wrath. And as Pastor preached from John this morning, that wrath is personal. However, as believers, we know that we belong to God by right of creation and providence and doubly by right of election and redemption. The second implication of giving up our perceived rights is that it's personal. Jonathan loved David as his own soul. That phrase is used both in verse 1 and in verse 3. And in the context of this personal nature of our relationship to Jesus, it begs us to ask the question, do I love Jesus as my own soul? We're inundated by our culture's call to love yourself. In Shakespeare's Hamlet, Polonius gives his son advice that could be considered a cultural mandate for our times. To thine own self be true. It's to the point that in our culture, we are often alone together. Michael Horton puts it this way. We express ourselves, but nobody's even listening, since they are expressing themselves too. This can happen even in the church where we basically have private experiences in the same room with other people, end quote. We should be thankful for services like this one, the one that we're currently at, even with our discussion on baptism. And also for all of our brothers and sisters that help us to keep from continually gazing at our own navels. Church, we have a personal God that God has intervened in history metaphorically to show up at our, at our doorstep. Too, too metaphorically. <laughs> let, me, let me rephrase that. He hasn't intervened metaphorically. He has intervened in history to metaphorically show up at our doorstep. We are right to respond to this, like Jonathan, and love Jesus as our own soul. The third implication of acknowledging that we are not masters of our own fate is that it's public. I was raised in a church that often talked of making Jesus my personal Lord and Savior. There isn't time to go into all the connotations of that, but while our relationship with Jesus is indeed personal, personal does not mean that it's private. Jonathan's gifts to David were public. It was obvious to anyone paying attention that Jonathan had given his own possessions to David. Likewise, it should be obvious to anyone watching our lives that we are Christians. 
John 13:35 exhorts us to show that we are Jesus' disciples by loving one another. Church, live in such a way that it makes it clear who you follow. Luke 9:26 gives a sober warning if we are inclined to make our, take, make our faith in Christ strictly a private thing. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Take to heart Jonathan Edwards' resolution number 63 and resolve to have your Christianity always shining in its true luster and appearing excellent and lovely from whatever part and under whatever character it's viewed. The final implication of giving up control as captains of our own souls is that it's political. By giving up his princely robes and weaponry, Jonathan was acknowledging David as God's choice for king, thereby giving up his earthly right to inherit his throne from his father Saul. Likewise, when we align ourselves with Jesus, we acknowledge him as God's choice of a king much better than David. A natural result of this is that following our king affects how we interact politically. The tendency for all of us is to put people in the camps of us and them regarding our politics. The truth is, the people that we interact with both within and without of, outside of the church, they fall at different places on this earthly political spectrum from liberal to conservative. Regardless of where we find ourselves on that scale, all of it is still Babylon. It'll never be Zion. As, as citizens of Christ's kingdom, we're called to love people whose lifestyles run counter to our deepest convictions about what God's word teaches. See 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 7. We're commissioned by Jesus to herald his name as he delivers himself to sinners through preaching, teaching, baptism, and communion. And we need to be careful to put the politics of his kingdom in the forefront. Our first response to those who disagree with our convictions should not be moral indignation should not be um, scolding, rejection, even instruction, but love. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20 tells us, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is... In Christ, God, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for, God, for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. <clears throat> Brothers and sisters, take this call to be ambassadors seriously. As we wrap things up, notice the direction of these four Ps that I just used. Our position in Christ leads us to have a personal love for Jesus, which works itself out in our public and political lives. 
I leave you with this final exhortation from Colossians 3, verses 12 through 15, regarding our clothing. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all, put on, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We ask that we would love you more. Lord God, that you would continue to make Jesus more beautiful and more believable to us day by day. We pray this in his name. Amen.